this session is an interesting one. So we've been, we just started last week talking about the church when it comes to the unsaved Christian, cultural Christianity. That the local church can be an incubator of cultural Christianity or it could be a remedy for it. Uh, we're going to use this line every single week, uh, except for next week because we don't have Sunday school next week. So. <laughs> Um, so the local church can either be an incubator of cultural Christianity, it can foster it, it can create bad habits, or it can be a remedy for it. It could fight against it. Um, so again, that's kind of the overarching theme of what we're talking about here when we're looking at the church specifically. So this week we're going we're gonna to be talking, sadly, about um, how we've kind of redefined, last week we talked about redefining the um, the terms of church membership. Well, now we're, we're talking about how we've been redefining as churches. When I say we, broad brush, of course, Easter and Christmas services, holiday services, what their purpose are, what we're using them for. Quick video here to get us started. Okay, so I'm sure many of you have seen that. Now, that's that's hilarious, but why why is that so funny? Because it's true. How many of you have, ex I mean, experienced that? It, it's all too true, right? Um, and that's why comedians can, can kind of poke fun at it and joke about it. And, and just in full transparency, I was a dressed up as a carrot one Easter at a previous church in a previous life. So I'm, I'm a part of this. I was a giant carrot next to a, a creepy clown that made all the kids cry. My cousin was the clown. So, uh, how many of you know what a CEO Christian is? Have you heard about that? A CEO Christian? Uh, it, it's kind of a abbreviation, tongue-in-cheek. It stands for Christmas and Easter-only Christians. So they, they kind of have their own label there. They're also known as Christers. Have you guys heard that term? Christmas and Easter. Um, so this sadly has become a joke, right? And some would take ownership even themselves individually. They would say, yeah, I'm a CEO Christian, right? I mean, they would, they would take ownership of that. Yeah, I only come on Easter and Christmas. Uh, it's great. Works great for my schedule. And churches definitely take share in part of the responsibility for fostering this. So, again, my goal this morning is not uh, trying to beat up churches necessarily, but we just need to look at the reality of this and, and see kind of where, where the disconnect is, right? And that's what we'll be digging for. So, on the church side of things, when it comes to leadership, this video, I played it because it's funny, obviously, but not just because it's funny, but because it helps really to convey what I'm getting at. Um, church leaders consider Easter and Christmas, uh, many church leaders do, the Super Bowl of Sundays. I've heard that. I don't know if you've heard that term before, that Christmas and Easter, Easter especially, are the, the Super Bowl of Sundays. So naturally, if it's a Super Bowl of Sundays, it requires a lot of planning. So church leaders will be having conversations like this uh, for months, months even, ordering the right parts for the stage, Getting that set up, I mean, it takes months and months of planning for one service. So what is it, do you think, about Christmas and Easter that drives so many um, non-church members to church? What are some things that can come to mind? Relieve their guilt. What do you mean by that? Relieve their guilt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Come to get a dose of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Family obligation. It's a good one. Tradition. We talked a lot about tradition 
in this class, right? Um, I think that's a big one. Yeah. So why why just go to that one? Yeah, it's going to be the most spectacular, probably, right? Um, so, yeah. Right, and it can wrap into the tradition of the holiday. What do you mean by that? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's very familiar. That's a good point. Yeah. Right, right, and so. It's no surprise that Christmas and Easter bring a flood of people to churches. And I guess that's, that's kind of the good starting point in this lesson. That's what I'm getting at here. And as Christmas and Easter services become more and more over the top, then this trend can start to become normalized within churches, right? Like we got to outdo ourselves even the next year. And, and it becomes normalized in the sense of like, this is, if, if you're a church, this is how it's supposed to look. Like, why are you not doing an, an Easter play on church service? Or why are you not having every single member of your worship team up on stage that Sunday? Why would you not? It's Easter, for crying out loud. So we know how things can be normalized in culture and society. And, and I would dare argue that this is one that is, is trying to make its way to become normalized. Like, why would you do a normal service when it's Christmas or when it's Easter? And after all, it is the Super Bowl Sunday. So when we throw that word to it, well, then, then it makes it even more lame if you're not going over the top because Super Bowls are supposed to be spectacular, right? They require a lot of planning. They require a lot of resources. They require a lot of shock and awe. So curious your thoughts on churches labeling Easter and Christmas as a Super Bowl of Sundays. Is this the right term? Is it an appropriate term? Is it not? Uh, not a loaded question. Just curious your thoughts on even calling Christmas and Easter service Super Bowl service of Sunday. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a very big deal. And it does cause means to celebrate, too. So as we go through this lesson, don't hear me saying that. We, we should ignore it. It's is something very, very important and significant to celebrate. Any other thoughts? There doesn't seem to be too many thoughts on, on calling it Super Bowl Sundays, which is fine. Yeah. It cheapens it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> it's been my excuse with, with Kel, but it's kind of like Valentine's Day, right? Like, well, why would I love you even any more today when I love you all the time? Perfectly. Right, honey? <laughs> 
Yeah. And again, I want to be fair. I am not standing up here saying Christmas. I love our Christmas Eve services. It is special. It's very special. You're with family. Um, and it's okay to change up the service and have, we're going to sing carols. We do that here. We do a lot of scripture reading, right? We read through kind of the, the, the book of Matthew and just all the well-known Christmas passages. That's great. Um, so I think it comes down to a definition. Every definitions matter. So one pastor could call it the Super Bowl Sundays and another pastor could call it the Super Bowl Sundays for two very different reasons. Maybe this one over here saying it's the Super Bowl Sundays because we just get a flood of people naturally. That's fine. That's fair. This one may call it the Super Bowl Sundays because mentally they're like, this is our time to shine. We're going we're gonna to capitalize on this, right? So very different perspective. So not right or wrong. I was just curious with that wording, that verbiage, and wanted to throw that out there. Um, so Dean and Sarah in his book, The Unsafe Christian, which what a lot of this is based on, um, he shares a time that in his second year during his church plant, so this is his second year at a seminary at their church plant, they were going to jump on the Super Bowl Sunday bandwagon and capitalize on this. Now, his heart was in the right place. Uh, he, he says that. He makes that clear. I want to make that clear. They're like, we're going to use this as outreach. People are going to come flooding in. We want this as outreach. Now, the problem was, is at that time, his church plant, which is kind of funny, this was his church plant. There were 400 people. So we're, we're almost pushing 300 here on a Sunday. So it's a big church plant. And they're having their churches like most plants would do in a high school. And so right away, they're like, this high school is not going to work if we're going to go all out. So they rented, <coughs> excuse me, they rented a local concert venue uh, in town that was well known. They put all their you know, money, resources into that. They're, we're going to rent this on this Sunday so now we can fit as many people as we need. So they, um, they created, created all kinds of hype through social media. They had people going through the neighborhoods. And we're talking a local church here. So they went all out. And their church members were, were all on board. They're like, yes, why wouldn't we capitalize on this? Let's go big. Um, let's do this for outreach. So after months of hard work, uh, their 400 people turned into 1,000 uh, that Easter. So they went from 400 to 1,000 people. They did a really good job with outreach, apparently. <laughs> and thankfully, they were in this local concert venue. And he said um, the high that they all felt, he said it was, he said, and he'll never forget it to this day. I mean, can you imagine being on church leadership, even being a member of a church here? And we're all coming together. We're talking about this for for months, like, Let's all go to our neighborhoods. Let's all take part in this. And you get to see a thousand people come to a service. What a blessing. And so he said, you know, emotions were high. It was exciting. Um, He said the service went great. He said they had a legitimate gospel message that they presented to these uh, 600 additional people that came to the service. Uh, It was a good day. And he said they were so excited. They felt like outreach gurus, he said. (laughs) Maybe he was going to write a book on it right then and there. Um, Because the feedback across the town was even good. They were catching wind of what all the people in the neighborhoods were saying. Like that the service, they the expectations they set for the service, they met those expectations. People were just raving about how good that service was. So the following Sunday was coming. They're like, okay. We got we to gotta prep for this. What are we going to do? So they found every single, they're back to the school, found every single chair they could find. They put it in, got ready for service. Um, they met uh, for a few days before the service started to just make sure their leadership team was on board. I mean, think about communion cups, all those things, you know, childcare, and they were ready. Uh, 
That day, 398 people showed up for church. A week after, it's a 61% drop in attendance week over week. And can you imagine what this would do to the morale of the, of the leadership? I mean, he said he took a lot of the blame for it. One, he got his, he's the leader, so he got his, his team hyped up and rallied up for this. Um, he was just trying to want, uh, figure out, what did I do wrong? Like, what went wrong here? Did we do right up until this point, and then we kind of failed with the, the follow-up? Should we have sent out cards earlier? I mean, a million things were going through his mind. <clears throat> and the truth is, is this happens a lot. You see this spike in attendance, and then you see it drop. So this led Dean to an obvious reality that he realized, though, is easily, easily overlooked. And it puts the focus on the who. And that's what we're going to talk about now. Who are these people that are coming and filling in all these extra seats on Christmas and Easter? So what do you think? If a church's goal, if it's our mission to use Easter and, and Christmas as an outreach, we have Christmas Eve coming up here very soon. We want to use it as an outreach. Um, and we want to attract people that normally don't attend church. Who are these people? Who's our target audience? People we know, okay? People we work with, friends, family. Any other thoughts? Who's our target? We're, we're in our meeting now. We're, we're, we're sitting, we're talking about Christmas Eve coming up. Who are we reaching out to? Okay, yeah. What'd you say, Kat? The unsaved. Okay, so yeah. What's that, Ryan? Neighborhood. Neighborhood, yep. So you think our focus is more on unbelievers or believers? Okay, so this is our, well, we'll say this is our target then. So the believers role then, this is probably just the people in our local church, they're going to serve, right? As Dean had them do, you guys are going to get the flyers, you guys are going to go help pass out things in the neighborhoods this week. We're going to give you some social media posts. You're going to put them on your social media, feed it out. Okay, so if, if unbelievers are our target audience, then what's our approach? What would service look like? What does it need to look like? We're going to have 600 people coming in. Guess, what do we need service to look like? Yeah. Thought we got to have... That's, that's number one. We got to have fog. Must have fog because they're uncomfortable. We got to make them make sure they don't like stand out too much. What else? Yeah. Assembly line. Yeah, lots. Yeah. Lots of serving. How about that? Right. We got to serve them when they come in. We want to be hospitable. Yeah, Josh. Oh, like the guns, like those. <laughs> swag, gotta have swag for sure. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> we'll say kill greeting. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Dim the lights. Okay. We want it dark. Now, remember, this approach, too, is, is distinct from how we normally do church, you guys. So 
right? We normally have, we already have our ways. We've already talked about this when we planted the church, but this approach is special for Christmas. So what else do we need to do for this target audience of unbelievers? Entertainment. Entertainment. Yeah. So entertainment is a slippery slope, right? So what does that mean? So are we going to change up our song set? Are we going to do some secular songs maybe or? Yeah. Yeah, entertainment can go all over the place. We could do skit, our worship. What is worship going to look like? What's that? Popular songs. Now, um, we need worship to be extra good that Sunday. So Dave Lumberg's not going to play Mike Mosbeck's on. <laughs> So we're gonna make sure Mike, we're gonna make sure Mike's on stage and ready to go, and maybe we'll do extra songs, right? Um, okay, I think we got enough there. So what's the? That's our approach. That's what service is gonna look like. What about the message? What message should the pastor give? Short. Short. Why short? Yeah. They got. <laughs> Feel good message. Oh, jokes. Yeah, we got to have jokes in there. Jokes. Feel good. Huh? Surface level. We don't want to go too deep, right? We got to be careful. Keep the Bible. <laughs> Keep the Bible. Well, we can use we can use John 316. That one's safe. More entertainment. What do you mean by that? During the message. Yeah, videos maybe. Like what I'm doing this morning? Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Barry. We'll talk we'll talk after. <laughs> huh? Application, application. Yeah. And then if we're unbelievers, then we should probably have an altar call, right? Okay. All right. This is good. This is a good meeting, guys. We have a good Christmas Eve service plan. These guys are going to be really confused, but it's only one Sunday, so it's okay. <laughs> so the interesting thing here, and why this is a good exercise, is Dean kind of went through this process that second year of his church plant when they had a thousand people at their service. But the light bulb moment that went off in his head after it was all said and done that he realized is that, and again, this is easily overlooked and he missed it. Despite what many assume, these people are not the ones coming in on Christmas and Easter. These ones are. Why does this matter? Yeah. Why else does this matter? They're both unbelievers, technically, we would say, but does this matter with your approach? Yeah. Yeah. This is huge, you guys, right? Like, this is a profound 
point that Dean makes. We spend so much time thinking that we are alluring and attractive. And, and again, broad brush, we are, I'm sure. Uh, in fairness, some families have people in town that aren't believers and I respect they'll come to service with them. But we're not talking about that. The majority are here. So all this stuff, is it going to be helpful, you think, for your max outreach approach? Yeah, we're feeding it. Yeah. He says, first quote here from Dean, he says, it's a stretch to see Easter as an outreach that is going to grow the church because outside of an Easter egg hunt in a basket full of jelly beans awaiting the kids, unbelievers don't care about Easter. Think about that. Unbelievers don't care about Easter. For them, the holiday is a glorified celebration of spring that happens to be an American tradition and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is irrelevant. They most likely aren't going to church on Easter because that has nothing to do with their family practice of the holiday. Hearing that a church is doing a big Easter extravaganza on Sunday morning wouldn't make them go to an Easter service any more than a special Ramadan gathering would entice a non-Muslim to put the family in the car and drive to the mosque. So think about that point. If... Let's say you guys, people went in your neighborhood and they gave you all these handouts to this Ramadan gathering, right? We're going to have this here. We're going to have that here. We're going to have good food. Would you go? Would you be very uncomfortable if you went? Why? Because you're not Muslim. I think that's a very profound point he brings up. Easter is an outreach and the traditional understanding of the word is overblown and overrated. It's not unchurched people who show up to church for Easter in droves. It's unsaved Christians who walk in the door. Unbelievers could care less about the Christian view of Easter and Christmas. This couldn't be any, any further. I mean, it's just, it's so true, right? And think about Christmas Eve. Why would a family of atheists, of professing atheists, want to get the kids all dressed up, come into church, take a picture by the tree, light the candle with us, and sing Silent Night. When they know what it's about and they don't believe in it. They're not going to be, outside of that example I gave where maybe you're in town with family and you're just going to go out of respect, that's probably the only scenario I could think of where that would even make sense. No, they're, they're at home with their family. They're watching the game, right? They're, they're, they're smoking the prime rib. They're, they're doing what they do on tradition as atheists on Christmas. Thoughts on this? Is this something that is um, something you ever really thought of now that you're kind of hearing this? Yeah, if you, if you hate Jesus and you hate the whole Christian ideology, or maybe you don't hate it, maybe you just disagree with it, and I come to your door with an invitation that it's going to be great, we're going to have all these things, like, why would that be enticing or appealing to you? So the ones filling these seats are cultural Christians. And the majority of the people coming to holiday service are cultural Christians. These are the ones who profess that they believe in God. We talked a lot about this, right? They're the ones that are like, yep, I'm on your team. That's why I'm here. 
I'm here to celebrate Jesus, because after all, that's what the holiday is about, right? Put Christ back in Christmas. So that means, Tess, as you're saying, tradition, that Christmas and Easter are really a non-negotiable priority for them. They will not miss a Christmas or Easter service, as strange as that is. And Dean is funny. He mentions a lot in his book of how he says how strange the religion of cultural Christianity is. And he brings up some really good points because here he was bringing up an example of some buddies of his when he was in college, uh, spring break, uh, not spring break, it was uh, it was closer to Easter. So around that time in Florida, they're at the beach and uh, it was uh, Easter. And uh, one of them were like, hey, bring out the beers. Let's let's drink. That's what they would do. They would go to the ocean and, and bring out the, the, the alcohol and a handful of them were like, oh, no, we're not drinking today. And they're like, why? They're like, well, it's Easter. <laughs> he was like, okay. So why? what does that mean? They didn't go to church, mind you. They were just there. They were surfing. They were hanging out at the beach. And then the next day, they met the same place, and they brought out the beers and started drinking. And so he was just using that as an example of just how strange these ideas. I talked, uh, I think, last week about the person who drove eight hours away just to have their newborn baby baptized in the church they grew up with. That, that meant something to them. So there's a lot of weird things that take place here. Um, but for the cultural Christian on Easter Christmas, that's the mentality, right? Like, why wouldn't I go to church? Why wouldn't I come and pay respects to God? And, and they're likely to, to probably put in a fat donation check while they're there at Christmas Eve service, depending on if they got that Christmas bonus that year, right? But they're going to come. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to sing. Um, and they're going to give a little money to the church, and, and that's part of their tradition. Check the box. So this is very important and simply because it's just another tradition that goes right along with the holiday. They go year over year. They, as if they, they would never not fill their stockings that year, right, or put their Christmas lights. They will never miss a Christmas Eve service or an Easter service. It's part of their tradition. Tess, you nailed it. <laughs> But then just like all the other Christmas decorations that get put away, right? Now they stop going to church. So the spike in attendance uh, that churches experience are mainly cultural Christians. Then what are the implications of this? Then what are the implications of the outreach approach? I mean, first of all, is it bad for a church to want to have a, a strategy for an outreach for holidays? Do you think? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think so either. Should a church put in maybe a little more effort? For that service, a little more meetings, a little more strategy, um, you know, maybe make it a little more relevant. Is that is that okay? Sure. If you're familiar with the phrase, ready, fire, aim, I think that's kind of what's happening here, right? And how I talked about earlier how it's become normalized, I think we're stuck here. Like, we're, we're not even looking at this because this is a very sensitive topic anyway that we're all even learning about at Sunday school. So this is just what we do. We meet and we talk about this because we're going to reach unbelievers here in Spokane Valley. We're going to have a flood of unbelievers coming in the church. And then as I mentioned before, the danger too is then it can become, and I've seen this in other churches where it, it, this becomes a thing where that, this is not even what's in focus. Now it's just about how we can outdo ourselves the next year. And I've seen this actually happen where it's like, Last year we had this. This year let's do this, this, and this. Last year we spent twenty thousand on Christmas Eve service. We got a budget of thirty-five thousand this year. How do we? Let's do it, right? How do we get more people in the door? How do we? How do we break record donations 
this year? Um, how can we get more decisions this year than last year? How can we get more baptisms? Um, how can we increase awareness this year through advertising and marketing? Can we get a radio spot this year? How can we make it bigger, better, and louder than ever before? And this is everywhere. And I have some examples just to add some context. So no, I'm legit doing the snow thing, but it's going to be all my rough drafts of my sermons shredded up. So it's just going to be just papers everywhere. Um, that's pretty incredible, right? And, and, you know, these are big mega churches, but this is, this is reality. And this stuff ain't cheap or free. It costs a lot of money. And it takes a lot of planning. Um, uh, so it's sad to see, for sure. So if we can agree, the majority of these people in this audience then are most likely cultural Christians when they're thought to be these guys here. So then let's talk about the how. If this is, if this is the case, then we want to start thinking, well, then what should our approach be? So what do you guys think? What, what should our approach be then if these are cultural Christians? Yeah, gospel is always key. But even more so, and I don't mean that, I know it always sounds bad to say even more so than the gospel, but what about the gospel? What are we going to really use to press this specific category? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Authentic. Just being real? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Real to the gospel. Real to the text. Not dressing it up. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully they're not expecting that, right? So they go to a church, they have their Christmas Eve service, and they're like, this Christmas Eve service was lame. I'm not going to this church, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, our need for a Savior. This is a bit, yeah, this is key, Sarah, need, Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Proper worship. Yeah. Talk about his holiness. I mean, think about, man, it's just crazy what we're celebrating. Like I said, we, we should celebrate it. It's a special holiday. Christ was born. Amen. But when you see stuff like this, and again, I'm not speaking for God, but I can't imagine that he's pleased with that. Not because it's not what he would think of or he would rather have football than basketball to make it snow, but because his name's not being elevated. Um, man, yeah, it's, it's scary to think about. Uh, what would our message So here we said keep it short, jokes, feel good, surface videos. What do you think? This is our target. What what our message? Kath, I would just go ahead and put this down here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gospel. <laughs> would it glow or do anything cool? Would it have like rope lights? 
And, you know, when we do special things for our spouse, you know, we think hard, like, what would, what's a special thing I can do today for, you know, my husband or my wife? Um, likewise, too, like, what would glorify God the most when we all gather and come together? I mean, it's got to be reading his word, right? And cherishing his word. Um, yeah. So we'll keep thinking about this because we're going to keep building upon this. But again, this is our focus now. Uh when we're talking about the how, one of the, the, the nots to do that Dean mentions, because this is often the very top thing that comes up on the how. So like, okay, I know we'll probably have some cultural Christians in service, so I'm going to say this very thing. Uh, Dean mentions this or talks about this here. He says, Happy Easter. We haven't seen you guys since Christmas Eve. <laughs> Good to have you back. A pastor chuckles as he opens his sermon. While the pastor probably thinks he's challenging people to be in church more often, or maybe just trying to be funny, he's unknowingly communicating the wrong message, that what the people need is to be in church more frequently. Of course, the pastor doesn't believe one is saved by their works, but has nonetheless cast guilt on the Christmas and Easter crowd. So why is focusing on guilt-tripping them in, in regards to church attendance probably not the best approach? Yeah, and why is giving a cultural Christian law not such a great idea? Because that, that's, that's how their system works already, right? Morality, we talked about that, works. It's just another thing to do to check off, yeah. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, they already feel that guilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He says, Dean says, I know I need to get to church more is a favorable line for a cultural Christian to use when feeling guilty. Annie, you hit on this. And we must make sure that we do not communicate a message that leads them to believe that church attendance is a solution for their life or that it is the message of Christianity. The goal is for them to see their need for Christ, not church attendance. The church must make sure it provides no confusions. So it's imperative that we echo this truth when we're engaging with cultural Christians, even in, in services and in holiday services, right? That what they need is forgiveness of sins, not church attendance. They need forgiveness of sins. So the gospel is the approach, right? Both these things we, we hit on. So good job. Gospel is always the approach. And, and it's always an approach because the one good thing about the gospel is it's going to cover all three of these. Right? So we are going to have some, some of these here on Christmas Eve, no doubt. We're going to be here. And then we're going to have some of these here. And the gospel can hit all three of these. Um, but it's important, too, that the church should never, when we're strategizing these things, the church should never, ever look at their service as, uh, as a thing to be transformed. Right? That it's the purpose of believers coming to worship God. That's the pur purpose of church service. 
It shouldn't be transformed to woo seekers or to woo people to come into there. One big thing there is that what you're doing then is you're removing from us, the saints who come here every Sunday, you're, you're taking that away from us. Like, this is our Christmas Eve service. This is our family. We, we gather together. And, and think about how terrible that is. You're just ripping that completely out and saying, hey, go get that assembly line, whoever said that. Get, you fall into the assembly line. You're going to serve that day. We're doing it for the kingdom. Let's go. Should never be transformed. The scriptures tell us that there is no thing, such thing as a seeker. And this is according to how they are being defined today, right? There are people who could seek God biblically. We see that in the scriptures. But the way that a seeker is defined today, there is no such thing. One ministry resource says a great thing about this. They say many evangelical church leaders these days have redesigned both their church buildings and their services in an effort to bring more people through their doors. This is, in a nutshell, the essence of a seeker-friendly church, offering worldly allurements to attract the multitudes. The proponents of the seeker-friendly church claim to be doing whatever is necessary to reach the lost. The fallacy with that kind of thinking is that the lost are not seeking God at all. The Bible says that no one seeks for God. We see this in Romans 3.11. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Psalms 14.2-3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So churches look at Christmas and Easter as a Super Bowl of Sundays. Um, so they want to respond with the Super Bowl of services, right? We'll, we'll, we'll match that ambition. So they plan the special service with massive outreach to these people. And they believe that who they're going to attract with all this outreach are going to be unbelievers. So everything that they prep for their service, they put it on steroids, is all tailored for this, of just kind of how we went through it. But instead of unbelievers, it's these cultural Christians that we we had said, uh, it was a good comment this morning, that uh, we're just basically feeding feeding them. We're making it worse. So how, how do you think this is? How are we not doing cultural Christians any favors by doing the Super Bowl service of the holidays here? Yeah. Yeah, we're kind of, yeah, that's a good point. We're like veiling it, right? Yeah. When I was looking through a lot of uh, these videos to prep for this class, I ran into a lot. Um, a lot of these mega churches, you can look on YouTube, they have their Christmas Eve services streamed and, um, and Easter services, and rightly so because they want to reach many people, which is great. But this was the message, and it's not a bad message, right? This is the message. This is what the gospel brings. But this has to come first. And uh, so many videos I watched, they had, the, they had this one of this, this cute girl is right at the beginning of the search. You know, they do the big countdown thing. All the lights were dimmed. And it was this girl and she's writing in this diary and she's just talking about hope. And um, if you're here tonight, you're going to get filled with this hope. 
Um, God is the light of the world. He'll bring light into your life. And we're so glad you're here. And I mean, it was just, it moved me. It had all the music playing. And then as it faded out, all the twinkly lights on stage went and the band just comes ripping in. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, and like I said, it moved, it moved me. I'm sitting there to like judge it. I'm like, oh, that's so terrible. Oh. <laughs> Filled me with hope, you know? But it's not fueled with, with this, right? Any other ideas of, we said, what is it doing to culture Christian? What is it not doing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. And, and the key word here is, is it's not challenging them. And we've talked a lot about this too as we go through this study. The goal is to challenge cultural Christianity. Um, and services that cater specifically two cultural Christians using all this glam and all this glitz, it's never going to leave them challenged. Um, you know, they're going to your church twice a year, and the irony in all this is this takes so much work, so much planning, so much effort, and it's at, with good intention, right? We're going to give it the best we've got, but yet the irony then falls into that they're completely missing the power and what's really going to change lives. So the solution is a clear and full teaching of the gospel during these holiday services. The gospel should be the showstopper, not the Grinch and Santa getting juked out with the basketball to make it snow with Dave's sermon notes. Um, and cultural Christians shouldn't be the only ones challenged. We should be challenged, right? Everybody should be challenged on Christmas Eve service and Easter service. And we're, we're challenged to respond. That's the ticket. It's not to just show up to celebrate, but Dean suggests that that's the key word there, and the goal is that there's a response. We meet to respond to Easter service. We meet to respond to Christmas service. We respond to the holiday, right? This includes us. Now, this doesn't mean to intentionally try to make people angry or, or mad. Like This is not Dave saying, well, instead of filling up with joy and, and hope and make them laugh, let's just make a really boring, dull service and just upset them. <laughs> No, it's, it's about letting the word do that work, right? It's presenting the gospel and let that do the, convict, the, the convicting, not, not us. Not standing up there and saying, hey, I haven't seen you since Easter. It's good to see you again. But to present the full gospel, what we have our hope in, and that includes the reality of, of our sin, and that includes the beauty of God's holiness, and you let that upset somebody that joined service that evening and, and hope that they walk away challenged as they go to check all the boxes on the rest of their tradition that night. See, Christmas Eve is about the incarnation of Christ, right? That's huge. So if a cultural Christian is showing up to celebrate the incarnation of Christ, that's what they're showing up to celebrate. They're coming to celebrate with all of us the incarnation of Christ. Well, then they also need to respond to that, right? Yes, Jesus came in the flesh, Little baby Jesus, right? But we're not just here to celebrate little baby Jesus. Why? Because little baby Jesus grew up. And then what did he do when he grew up? Many things that have implicate, great implications for you and me. So how do you respond then to little baby Jesus coming into the world and growing up? And I don't think they can get past that little baby Jesus part. That's what they're celebrating, right? The little baby Jesus who stays little baby Jesus forever. 
Easter's about the resurrection of Christ. Huge. So when you show up to an Easter service, you're affirming as a cultural Christian, I'm here to celebrate Christ resurrecting from the dead, which means that he was crucified, which means that he suffered a terrible death, and which means he is now at the right hand of the Father. How do you respond to that then? What implications does Christ's resurrection have on your life today? So this is, is what we should focus in on outreach that really makes the difference is the response, right? To all of us. It's the remembrance. And then that's what gives us this, right? The power of God defeating death. The power of the God-man coming into this world in flesh to take on our sins. So should we capitalize on outreach during the holidays? Absolutely. Should we capitalize on outreach during the holidays with our families around the dinner table? Absolutely. And that's what Dean leaves with is it's kind of this challenge. Uh, he sort of challenges us <laughs> that, um, where's this quote I put? It's really convicting. Um, let me see if I have it. Let me see your notes real quick, Jack. Yeah, yeah, at the very bottom. I didn't put that in mind. Um, cultural Christians have opened the door for the gospel to be shared over the Christian holidays without even realizing it. If we truly care about their understanding of Christ and their souls, we will talk religion over the family meal, regardless of what the cultural rules of dinner etiquette may suggest. If you can't have a conversation about the bizarre celebration of Easter with your uncle, who isn't an atheist, but is indifferent about following the Christ he agrees rose from the grave, you may never be able to have a gospel conversation elsewhere. So, I'm going to ruin your holidays coming up soon. Because <laughs> this really is a challenge. And again, we're not trying to just be the person that disrupts our great family tradition over a meal. But I think what Dean suggests here is, is pretty convicting. and It's pretty relevant, right? I, I put some of these, these things we've been building up in our toolbox over this series, uh, but here are some suggested ways that we can have that conversation, that we can lead towards an evangelical conversation to, to people who are celebrating these great holidays but doing nothing else after, right, these cultural Christians. First one is help them get lost, right, we've talked about that, help them get lost by lovingly asking frustrating questions. I think I'll have this application moving forward every week. Lovingly asking frustrating questions. Why did you put ash on your forehead before Easter? What's that all about? Um, ask pointed questions that force a disconnect to be discovered. Why do you show up to Christmas on Christmas Eve and, and never really go again? Um, why do you pray at the family meal on, on Easter, but I don't really ever see you pray any other time, right? Just being curious in asking these questions. It's not condemning. Use a Christmas song playing in the background or song. So maybe you all gather as a family and you sing these Christmas songs. Some of these Christmas songs, by the way, have great theology. There's some deep meaning to these Christmas songs that we just miss because we're just used to singing them. Ask them, what does that mean? What does it mean when it said that right there about, about Christ and the Father being in heaven? Like, what, is, what does that mean? Ask about the significance of Christ's birth or resurrection. So one thing we can challenge ourselves with, not so much, I mean, the, the church is a big one. We don't have a lot of control over this. We can pray, <laughs> pray for God to open the eyes of, 
these mega churches that are bringing in tons, thousands and thousands of people to be convicted to go back to this. But even for our own selves, we can really help to break through that just tradition with the gospel message, right? Challenging people with a response and even our own hearts. Why am I celebrating this? What implications did Jesus coming into the world have on my life? And what implications of his resurrection are on my life? And how am I going to respond moving forward to this? Um, so hopefully this is helpful um, for you all and be praying over the holidays that God can provide some opportunity here to evangelize the cultural Christian in this way. Uh, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us a solution. You, you've given us the solution. And um, Lord, we do pray just for you to open the eyes of the American church, God, and first forgive us. Um, Lord, we deserve so much judgment for how we are treating your holy word here in our country, for veiling the truth, for putting silly creaturely things above your holiness. It is done everywhere. And, and Lord, we are, we are all guilty of it. And we just first just ask for your forgiveness, your mercy. Um, every day that we wake up here in this country and we're just not decimated is, is a picture of your grace, your patience, your forbearance with us. So God, we just pray for an awakening in this area. We pray that you would be magnified and glorified this this holiday season for, for the truth of who you are, what you've done. You would open people's eyes to see your holiness and their great need for you. We pray that you would save many, bring many, many people out of this state of being a cultural Christian into a regenerated, reborn, new believer with new life, with new desires. God, would you be just willing to do this? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.